All right, it's episode 34, Pain Points of Wealth. We're going to talk about the roaring 20s today on the news in plain sight. There is so much going on. The economy is heating up. Earnings are going to heat up as we begin earnings season. What do you need to do with your portfolio? Taxes are probably going up too. We're going to give you all the strategies, everything we're thinking about. And on the tipping point today, we're going to talk about the fine print. The financial industry always has caveats with what they're trying to sell you. We're going to give you buyer beware, show you exactly what to look for. And we got lots of fun, fascinating facts of finance today we're going to break down. We got a great show for you. All right, let's hit the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Well, guys, it's uh, the Roaring Twenties has arrived. I mean, isn't it amazing? A hundred years ago, we had the Spanish flu. We had a pandemic. I don't remember to this day ever getting vaccinated for the Spanish flu. I don't think they ever came up with a vaccination. But somehow the economy recovered, not just recovered, it soared, it roared. We had the Roaring Twenties. And here we are again. Now we're getting vaccinated. It's the Roaring Twenties all over again. I mean, if you look at anything from an economic standpoint, any kind of measurement that we look at, it's the economy is going to run the hottest it's run since 1983. So my question is, Bob, you know, what were you doing in 1983? I do know that was the year of the return of the Jedi, for the record. But what else was happening in 1983? Do you remember it being a booming year like we're going to have this year? Well, I just remember that I had blonde hair and I took you and Chris to the patch, you know, to play soccer every weekend. And I'm sure we weren't very good. I'm sure, <laughs> but I remember we were not the best athletes when we were younger. Well, I don't remember much about 1983 because I was three years old, but I do remember that we moved into a new house and into a brand new neighborhood. And it was like in the middle of a construction boom. I just remember all these houses were being built. All these people were moving out to the suburbs. And it's kind of a lot like what's going on right now, where you've got a lot of people buying homes, leaving the cities, going into the suburbs. And you know, as we often say, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. Hey, Chris, it is really different. I mean, I had a 22% mortgage offered to me back in 1983, as opposed to 3% now. Big difference in terms of lending rates. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how everything does kind of come full circle. And the question becomes, well, rates have been so low for so long. And the question is, is that going to continue? And odds are, you know, given the fact that you know, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme, which we love to say on the show, is I think you've got to see higher interest rates. You know, everything you're hearing right now from the Federal Reserve, Fed Chairman Jay Powell is saying that, well, interest rates are not going to go up that much. You don't have to worry about inflation, cost of living. But it's kind of funny, Bob, but looking at your career, you're probably one of the only people that was around when we had higher interest rates and we were investing money. You know, most of the professionals on Wall Street have never lived through inflation. Hey, Ry, you couldn't be more right about that. You know, guys, I'm kind of a rare animal here on Wall Street these days. There's not many people my age still working. By the way, why am I still working? But I digress. The point is, if you weren't in the industry back in the 70s, then you haven't seen a bear market in bonds. Now, that has consequences for investors because all these newbie advisors, now anybody who's been in business less than 40 years, in my opinion, is a newbie, they haven't seen what happens, the devastation that happens when interest rates go up in those dreaded weapons of mass financial destruction, some people call bond funds. 
Yeah, and the one thing we've been pointing out week after week is it's kind of like inflation just keeps creeping in. And one of the gauges that we look at is the producer's price index. And you might be thinking, what the heck is that? But that's basically what it costs companies to produce goods. And that's gone up a lot. And I have to think, guys, I don't want to be naive here, but these companies are going to pass those costs on to you and me, the consumer, which causes inflation. That's what rising prices are all about. Well, you know, Ra, you always say it's four most dangerous words in investing. It's different this time. Well, guess what? It is different this time. The GDP is going through the roof. It's the strongest U.S. global economic recovery in almost 50 years. It's even longer than I've been in the business. This recovery is going to be the best ever. We're seeing economic growth around the globe, unlike anything anybody who's listening to this right now has seen since they've been investing. What? Just look at employment. I mean, economists now expect that employers are going to be adding 7.1 million jobs in 2021. As a matter of fact, guys, you know, I've been talking to a lot of my clients who work in the, the trades businesses, and they've actually been having a hard time getting people to come back to work, getting good skilled people. You know, they've got a ton of demand, but people still getting their stimulus. They're not coming back to work at this point. And I can see a day where we're actually having an employment shortage again, like we were starting to see in 2019 before the pandemic even started where we're literally going to have a labor shortage, where we're going to be looking for workers and it's going to be hard to find again. That day is coming and it's probably not that far away. Well, we have three powerful things happening right now when it comes to the economy. And that's why we're going to see earnings, which as we're recording this podcast, you know, we're starting earnings season. So we expect to see really big leaps in earnings. But that's because vaccinations are coming out very quickly. We've had this incredible federal stimulus with more coming with this infrastructure bill. And as a result of everybody being locked down in their living rooms, trying to work. Productivity is actually going through the roof. It's kind of amazing. Well, it's kind of like, I think our own business is kind of a microcosm of this, right? I mean, if you look at the fact that we've worked remote now for a year and our company actually runs more efficiently today, you know, we've implemented things like DocuSign where whenever we want a paperwork signed, we'd send out this big package through UPS. Well, now it's just an email, you know? So there's so many ways, and that's just our company. If you extrapolate that out to all the companies out there when business slowed last year, how efficient they became. So now as profits come back, to your point, just more money is going to drop to that bottom line. And efficiency gains are the best we've seen since like the 1960s. I think this is one of the more powerful forces that most economists, most strategists aren't talking about is just how much more efficient businesses have become in the last year. You know, Chris, uh, you're right, right about that. Certain businesses have benefited, but I know a lot of businesses I've been hurt by this, like dry cleaners. And, you know, your brother is such a great guy, likes to see everybody do well. He's actually sending his T-shirts to the dry cleaners, you know, so that uh, those guys can pick up a little business here. Well, you know, Bob, those rock T-shirts, you got to treat them well. Well, and well, I can't blame Ryan for taking his T-shirts to the dry cleaner. He does like to wear those tuxedo T-shirts, you know, for those more formal occasions. Hey, you know, I'm a classy guy. If there's one adjective to describe me, it's obviously classy. But I think it's really fascinating is... The one theme that we've seen for the last 12 months, and we always look at Wall Street, we always make fun of Wall Street, and every projection they've had has really been too low with how quickly we've recovered so far. And if you you really think about it, the theme has been over the last 12 months is the ability of human resourcefulness to beat out expectations. And I think that's the one thing you have to think about moving forward is as amazing as we think things are going to be, my guess is it's going to overshoot to the upside. Hey, I bet the same thing was happening in 1918, 1919. The economists were predicting a dire forecast and uh, no one predicted the roaring 20s. So let's sum it up. We got the economy booming. GDP is leading the way. Earnings are going through the roof. Unemployment's dropping daily. All that leads to inflation. And the best inflation head of stock. So if you're not long, you're wrong. You know what I always say, guys? 
okay to be wrong. It's not okay to stay wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Pain Points of Wealth podcast. If you like our podcast, you love our content, you think I'm smarter than Chris and Bob, which I am, please don't be shy. Click on that like button. Subscribe to our channel. You can have Pain Points of Wealth delivered to your inbox every single week and leave some comments. Let us know what you want to talk about. We're always here to discuss anything financially related. All right, it's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. So Bob and Chris, when it comes to financial products, the old saying is, they're not bought, they're sold. But I think Bob actually said it better. When a financial product is sold, you've always said it's like eating Chinese food. Tastes so good going down, but you feel so empty later. So I thought we could break down different financial products and talk about how they might be giving you heartburn later on. Well, the one big culprit of that, I think, is the annuity industry because I've never met anyone who went online and bought an annuity. It's always been sold to them. And I'll tell you, the person selling it doesn't do it for nothing. No, the commissions are astronomical on a lot of these products. And that's the problem is you hear all these great buzzwords, like we always talk about this income for life, safety, principal protection, and they just sound great. You know, it sounds like, man, man, sign me up for one of those. But then when you start to realize how complicated these products are, how complex the underlying products are, well, it doesn't feel like it was quite the same deal when you initially bought it. Well, you know what, guys? It's just like anything else in life. You know, you pay for that perceived guaranteed income. You know, you pay for that security. And, you know, one of the things that we'll do is we'll go actually go through with a prospective client or even our existing clients and look at their annuities. And I can tell you, you know, it takes anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half to two hours on the phone with these companies just to unwind and find out exactly what they're paying on these different annuities. It's not that it's a good or bad investment, but what we found is a lot of the time, maybe most of the time, it's probably inappropriately sold. And to your point, we literally just went through a case for a client and he was paying 5% a year in fees. That's insane. <laughs> Once you broke down all the fees and literally we had to go through the prospectus and no one likes to go through a prospectus. But man, oh man, once you start to break down the complexity, it gets really scary. Yeah, it's like anything else. It's a financial product. You got to understand what's inside it. And I'll tell you what, there's another group of investments called mutual funds. They're not necessarily good or bad. It all comes down to whether or not they're appropriate. So what could go wrong with a mutual fund, guys? Well, one thing that can go wrong with a mutual fund is, for example, if you have a, a manager of that fund that's trying to outperform his or her underlying index. And a lot of times, they'll take a lot more risks than they actually need to and end up getting less returns because they're trying to time the market as well as they're charging higher fees. Well, Chris, we only have evidence of that over the last 20 years, every rolling 20-year period. All mutual fund managers underperformed their underlying index by 85%. And the last I checked, guys, the other 15% that outperformed, we still can't figure out whether they were lucky or smart. I'm going to say lucky, and I'd rather be lucky in good life for the record. But I think the other thing to think about too is taxes, right? I mean, mutual funds are very tax inefficient because every year they have to pay out any gains that they have in the form of capital gains tax. And Bob, you and I were on a phone with an accountant just a couple of weeks ago. And the one big thing that the accountant said is, man, every single year, the old advisor that was working with this couple like trigger taxes every single year on their portfolio. And it's because they owned old school mutual funds. Now, what's crazy about that is, is we now live in a world where we have what you call exchange-traded funds, which are much more tax efficient. And you have to ask yourself, if you have a mutual fund 
and you could own an exchange traded fund, why hasn't anyone pointed this out to you? Because clearly it's a much more efficient vehicle. This is what I love, guys. An underperforming, higher cost investment class that sold, not bought. You would think with the horrible track records of mutual funds, it would be a niche product where there'd be very few, as opposed to it still dominates the industry. People are still being suckered into these investments almost every day. It's the only world where, look, we're going to charge you higher fees, we're going to be more tax inefficient, and we're going to underperform the market. And that's exactly where we're going to put your money. (laughs) And somehow it still exists today. It blows my mind. It's one of the reasons why you really have to educate yourself too, because the other great irony of our industry is usually the cheaper, more cost-effective option tends to be the better option. Which leads us to non-traded REITs. Every time I see a non-traded REIT, I ask the investor, did you really go out and find this and buy it? He goes, oh, no, the guy who sold it to me told me it was good. Now, REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust, just for the record. And you know what's crazy about these is they're always sold because it's like people feel like they're getting an exclusive deal because it's a quote-unquote private real estate deal. So you think you're getting into something special. Now, again, on the flip side, you can buy a portfolio of REITs in an exchange-traded fund, which again, is 100% liquid, meaning you can buy and sell it all day. And what we found is the track record is usually better than these private REITs where you can never get out of them. Well, you know, my philosophy, guys, on REITs is if it's illiquid, it's inappropriate. You know, over the years I've been doing this, I've looked over a lot of cases from my clients that have had these things. And what I found is one, that the internal costs are really high, you know, anywhere from three to 4%, whereas just owning an index like we do, where the costs are less than 10 basis points and the performance is better. Well, here's even more egregious than that. That's egregious. The fees are egregious, but they put it on your statement at the same price every single month even though it's not true. (laughs) So a lot of these real estate investment trusts have gone down a lot in value, but they still price it for what you paid for it, which in my mind, just like financial fraud. Well, here's the thing, guys. The lesson learned here is that when it comes to investing, right? Investing in the stock market, in the bond market, there's a price. And a lot of people don't like to pay the price because the price is volatility. Volatility is scary. It's emotional and it can cause you to make bad decisions. So kind of like buying a new car. A lot of people don't like to buy a new car because you have to pay a higher price, but you get a new car, it lasts longer, feels better. And again, there's that price. So how do you get around that? Well, you buy a used car. You don't get quite as good a product. It's like buying an annuity or a mutual fund or a non-traded re, right? You think you're getting something for nothing, but it's actually going to cost you. And then the other option is you can steal a car, right? Now, it's bad news if you get caught, but the same thing happens in the market. You don't want to pay that price of volatility. You try and trade the market, time the market. What happened if you got out in October, guys? How's that look so far? And that's the crazy thing about a lot of these products that are sold and where you don't read the fine print is they present it like it is something for nothing, that it is a free lunch. And when you get down to it, again, even though some of these real estate investment trusts don't fluctuate on your statement or these annuities don't fluctuate on your statement, there is high underlying risk there that you're not seeing there. And to your point, Bob, it's almost like you really are in that jalopy, but you're getting sold like you're getting the Porsche. You know, I think what it says about investing is it's worth paying the price because the price is right there. The sticker is right in your face. It's called volatility. Be willing to pay the price because anytime you don't, the cost of investing by eliminating volatility, you think you're getting away with something, those hidden costs are actually a lot more expensive. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially 
at any stage of your journey. But if you have over 500,000 and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right path to achieving financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. Hey, thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Pain Points of Wealth. If you really like our content, it touches you on a deep level, don't be shy. Click on the like button and you can subscribe to our channel. You can have our newest podcast delivered to your inbox every single week. And if you think I'm smarter, more engaging than Bob and Chris, you're right. Congratulations. All right, Chris and Bob, the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. Bob, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway bought Coca-Cola stock in the late 80s and the early 90s. Today, those shares are projected to generate $672 million a year in annual dividend income. That is a 51% annual yield based on the original $1.3 billion it cost them to buy the stock. And on top of it all, today, the stock is worth $21 billion in their portfolio. Wow. You know, it just goes and proves, once again, guys, that time passes and markets operate. And I'll tell you what, who wouldn't want a 51% dividend yield? But what you have to do is be patient, be an investor, own great companies that not only pay a dividend, but also increase that dividend every year like Coke has for the last 60 years. It only amplifies how ridiculous things like Bitcoin are that create, produce nothing. <laughs> you want to own productive assets, as Warren Buffett talks about intrinsic value. Chris, this year's dividends are estimated to grow by 5% on a per share basis versus 2020 for the S&P 500. Receiving a huge dividend check every three months is a reminder that you are a shareholder in a real company, real products that are consumed by billions of consumers worldwide. Common sense. Well, Rye, I would certainly prefer to own a company like Procter & Gamble that has consecutively increased their dividend for over 60 years versus a Bitcoin or even one of these SPACs that are coming out that pay no dividends and have no profits. It's hard to believe all the opportunity investors are missing right now where you can buy all these great cash flow producing investments in lieu of these speculative asset classes that are out there right now. People are missing a huge opportunity. Bob, the global Bitcoin network now emits 60 million tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere annually, roughly equivalent to countries such as Greece, according to Bank of America. Every 1 billion of inflow into Bitcoin is like putting 1.2 million cars on the road, and that's not the Tesla kind of car. Not really sure how they understand Bitcoin is mined and how it generates all this carbon dioxide, but hey, if you own Bitcoin right now, it's at a new high, I'd sell it and buy a beautiful place in the Greek Isles. It's the most beautiful place in the world. It sounds like the carbon dioxide is a lot lower there. All right, Chris, the US economy is poised to grow at about 6.5% this year, its best year of growth since 1983, when Ronald Reagan was in the White House and the return of the Jedi was in theaters. That year, economic growth was an astonishing 7.9%. No wonder Bob bought that huge house. Well, you know what, Ryan? I was only about three years old back then, but the one thing I do remember was dad driving around in that cool XJ6 Jaguar and listening to CDs. I think he was the first person on the block to buy a CD player. And don't forget the car phone. Bob was the only man I knew who had a car phone back in the early 80s. And he had that great head of hair. Man, oh man, Bob, that must have been a good time. Well, it's a good time to realize, Rai, you only buy a Jaguar once. <laughs> that car had so many problems. Well, another great show today. 
Great job, gentlemen. Of course, I use that term loosely. If you like this show, you love our podcast, please subscribe, click on the like button, show us some love. And as always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.